Welcome to the Plant Pod. Grow your mind, feed your soul. I'm your host, Carly Bodrug, journalist turned food blogger and the girl behind the popular plant-based brand, Plant You. I could not be more excited for today's show and our special guest, birth control expert, Dr. Jolene Brighton. Not only is it my first podcast show ever, we're also delving into a topic that's really juicy. Today, we're going to be talking all about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the birth control pill. For context, around 100 million women worldwide use hormonal contraceptives, and I was one of them until about six months ago. For more than a decade since I was just 17 years old, I popped that little pill every morning without a second thought of the impact it was having on just about every part of my body. Around six months ago now, I decided to go off and was surprised at how I almost immediately felt. We'll delve more into this during the show. Now, I want to preface this podcast by saying that the pill definitely has its time and place, and its impact on the body is very individual. It's important to explore the ins and outs of different contraceptive options between you and your physician before making a decision to go on or off the pill. In this show, we're going to answer the questions you asked on Instagram, including how the pill impacts our mental state, fertility, sex drive, and what alternatives we have for non-hormonal birth control. If you enjoyed today's show, we'd love to hear from you. Simply take a screenshot of the episode and post it to your Instagram stories, tagging both me and Dr. Brighton so we can repost and share the love. As well, this is obviously a new podcast, so a five-star review would literally mean the world if you do like it. Thank you so much for your support. Without further ado, I'm pumped to introduce today's guest, naturopathic medical physician, Dr. Jolene Brighton. Dr. Brighton is a prominent leader in women's medicine who studies the effects of hormonal birth control on female health. She's a fierce patient advocate and completely dedicated to uncovering the root cause of hormonal imbalances. You might have heard of her best-selling book, Beyond the Pill, which takes a deep dive into the side effects of the pill and strategies to come off of it effectively. Welcome to the Plant Pod, Dr. Brighton. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. I am so excited to delve into this. I actually found you because I shared with my Instagram followers around six months ago that I was coming off the pill and your book Beyond the Pill had to have been recommended over 200 times. People were sending me your profile saying you have to follow her. I downloaded the book almost right away and it was incredible. I think I finished it within like two days. It's one of those reads where you really can't put it down. And I guess what I'm interested in starting with is hearing about how you got into this kind of unique field of study as a physician. Well, I spent 10 years on the pill myself. I think that's important for everyone to understand because the very first thing that happens whenever I start talking candidly about birth control is people are like, you must be anti-birth control. Well, no, (laughs) it serves. It definitely serves. Um, And I think that it's been absolutely instrumental in so many ways in women's lives. And yet there's just a lot that has been taboo that we've been not able to speak about, that we think that we're the only ones, or when we raise the concerns, our doctors dismiss us and tell us, well, it must be you, it's not birth control, because we don't have a study. Well, yeah, we don't, nobody wants to do studies really um, that are gonna hurt the bottom line of a highly profitable profitable, uh, pharmaceutical that doesn't require you to have a diagnosis. All you need is to just have a set of ovaries and you can be prescribed this. Um, and you know, when we look at women's health as a whole being really underfunded, um, we, we need so much research in endometriosis 
PCOS and so many other conditions that it's like, man, how do, how do we prioritize? Like, how, how do we get, I mean, really, if it was up to me, we'd be um, every, you know, every of these, one of these common issues that women complain of, we'd be researching and looking into. So, um, you know, all of this came about, I was on the pill, I was on it for 10 years, and I started it because I had horrible periods. They were, you know, more than a week. They were super, super painful. I was missing school, um, you know, one week out of every month and one week, uh, more like one day, one to two days. It wasn't a full week. I misspoke there. But in that though, you know, when I came off, I thought I could just come off and there would be no problem. At the time, you know, I'd been on it for 10 years and I thought, you know, one, I was like, I'm not sexually active. I might as well come off the pill. When I had started it, my doctor had said, don't stay on it more than 10 years. And so when I came off, I was really surprised by the acne that I had for the first time in my life, developing cystic acne for losing my period. My doctor had told me like, oh, this is you. You know, when I'm a baby, get back on the pill. A lot of us have heard this story. And uh, through that, you know, I really came to understand that there was a whole lot that birth control was doing to my body that nobody had told me about. When I started to learn more about, and I talk about this in my book about like, why did I have chronic yeast vaginitis? I went off the pill. I never had it again. It was the pill, but nobody ever thought to tell me that's a side effect of the pill. There were so many side effects I was never talked to about. And, you know, of course I did the uh, thing that so many of us do where I just thought it was me. I was the only one that came off of the pill and had any kind of issue whatsoever. And then it was once I got into clinical practice that I started to see that many women struggle with hormonal birth control side effects with coming off of hormonal birth control and that there were so many of them that had never had discussions with their doctor that were actually honest that told the full story and when they brought their complaints to their doctor their doctor dismissed them and what was crazy to me is I got the reputation of being the doctor. Like people would call my office and say, I heard you actually listen. Like I heard you listen to women. I heard you believe them about birth control. I'm like, what a weird thing to say. And yet, you know, as I reflect on it, I'm like, it's actually not that weird when you consider that, you know, women are largely, you know, dismissed with many, many issues uh, in women's health when you compare them to their male counterparts. And at the same time uh, that when it comes to birth control, birth control is always put on this pedestal, like just take it and say, thank you, because this was part of women's rights and women, you know, fought for this. And they leave out the part of history of like, well, women were actually coerced into taking this. They didn't have informed consent. Some of them died and that wasn't even reported. We don't even remember that history. And by the way, women actually fought against it to begin with because of these horrific side effects and to which they changed their marketing and they actually didn't change. Uh, very much else about birth control. And that's like the forgotten past of birth control. Um, and, you know, well, yes, we graduate college at a higher rate with the introduction of birth control. We can control our fertility with birth control. There's been a lot of benefits. There's also just been a lot of like, hush now, we don't talk about that. Um, that's come along with birth control. So I was on the pill for over a decade as well. And I have to say, I'm a bit embarrassed to admit that despite being on it for so long, I at no time knew what it was actually doing to my body, other than the fact it was keeping me from getting pregnant. So for our listeners, can you explain how the pill actually works? Yeah, don't be embarrassed because I had no idea. I popped that pill religiously every single day and... 
I had no idea how it worked until I was going to become a prescriber. So that's when I learned how birth control worked is when I was going to be, I was learning how to prescribe it. And so the way that these hormones work to stop ovulation is they work at the brain level. I think this is a really important thing that we don't talk enough about because we think like it's a reproductive um, hormone, it's a reproductive medication, it must work on your ovaries, but where it really works is on your brain, which is why, you know, when we see brain related side effects and symptoms come up, it's like, was this really like that much of a reach? Like that's where it elicits its effect. So with these hormones, so specifically the pill, the patch, the NuvaRing, they flood your system with so many hormones that it shuts down the brain from talking to your ovaries. So with the pill specifically, you're going to have synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone, known as progestin. It's not the same as your progesterone, although you'll hear that interchangeably. You'll see it in the research. It's not the same. Chemically, like, and I tell you this, you guys, I have a degree in chemistry. We would not call that the same molecule. It is not. It's structurally different. So with that, that you take that pill, it is absorbed in your small intestine for the most part. Some of it makes the large intestine, which is why it can affect your microbiome. And it then passes through your liver. Your liver gets an attempt to try to basically detox it out like it does with medications, but it's still enough hormone that it goes to your brain and tells your brain, we've got enough, do not signal to the ovaries. So we're not gonna secrete FSH, we're not gonna secrete LH, we are not going to stimulate follicles to grow, we're not gonna stimulate ovulation. And that's all really good if you don't wanna have a baby. Really good mechanism um, to shut down having a baby. But that's the thing is that, you know, part of uh, an informed consent is, you know, helping you explain and answer all of your questions. So if people aren't familiar with this, before we can give you a medical treatment, we have to do an informed consent. And that informed consent means that we explain this intervention in a way that you understand it and we answer all of your questions. And this is something that like, you don't have to know the mechanism of every action of every drug out there, but you should have a basic idea of like, what is this doing in your body? Um, but so often women will come to me and they're like, what, well, ask my doctor how it worked. And they just like brushed me off. They didn't tell me like how it worked. Um, I asked my doctor about like, what about the stroke risk? And they're like, oh, it's such a low amount. Like, don't worry about it. That's not an informed consent. Like you don't get to choose like that. You're not going to answer that question. Like you have to answer the patient's question. Otherwise they haven't, they haven't consented to anything based on information. They've consented to it based on, you know, the, which is something that I think doctors fall into the trap of, of like, I'm doctor, I know best. Therefore, like, don't question me. Do you feel that the pill is often prescribed as just a cure-all for basically any woman's health issue? For example, when I was 17, I had what I thought were bad cramps, a little bit of acne, and I had heard through the grapevine of my friend group that if you take the pill, you'll have bigger boobs and resolve both of these issues. I went into my doctor's office and wasn't sexually active at the time, asked for the pill. It was prescribed with really no explanation or questions asked. And I'm wondering how often do you think this has happened? Because I wish at the time that I had the education to make a more informed choice. Yeah, I have to just giggle about the bigger boobs because uh, if anybody's listening to this, like I was there as well. I remember being like, I remember wanting to start the pill I think I was like 15 and I wanted to start it, start it just so I could have bigger breasts because I had heard the same thing. 
Um, I actually didn't end up with bigger breasts and what's, I'm just going to share this now with everybody. I'm pretty candid about, uh, about bodies in general, um, is that I'm 25 weeks pregnant and my breasts are like, they're just ridiculously huge. They get giant when <laughs> I have, um, like, I seriously want to like stand up and, and show you they're, they're, um, they're passing double D's right now. And, um, which is like, you know, people will be like, Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm like, the back pain's wonderful. Let me tell you about it. Um, the stretch marks, fantastic. Um, also like when you have deflated balloons, what like the party's over, um, you know, after you stop breastfeeding, I, I, and I just joke about this because I have a friend, um, she's, she's one of my best friends from college and she's two weeks behind me in pregnancy. And, um, she's like, I wish I was like you. I wish I got those bigger boobs. And I was like, you know what? We always are wishing for stuff that like we don't have. And like, honestly, like as much as like my husband has days where he's like, this is awesome. He also sees <laughs> me like stretching and being like, ah, and then postpartum, they, they are like, if, if they end up the same as with my first child, um, they just get, I just don't even bother trying to find a bra that fits. I'm just like, just give me the biggest thing you can find. It's ridiculous. Um, and so I just laugh and I stare all of that because man, I like got what I wanted in pregnancy, you know? And I just like, if I could go back to my 15 year old self and be like, they're perfect you're functional just be happy with what you have because it's awesome like <laughs> so um but i just can't help but giggle about that because i'm like oh yeah i wanted birth control too so that i could have bigger breasts um and it does work some women do get bigger breasts uh but it's not usually substantial and it's not uh it's it's not something that i would ever encourage a patient to to do uh so but with that back to your point like do i believe or do i think that this is prescribed uh you know as a, as a band-aid or for symptom management it doesn't matter what i think or believe because it's actually out there we have the data to show that 58 percent of women are using hormonal birth control primarily for symptom management not for pregnancy prevention and so that data um, exists. And so what are we seeing that it's being prescribed for? So understand that um, there is, you know, there's a formulation that is approved for PMDD. Outside of that, this drug is, and these are drugs. I think we sometimes like forget that they're drugs because they're so ubiquitous. Um, and yet these drugs were uh, developed, tested on, and, you know, made for a young reproductive female. So this is really important to understand because it's being used to treat perimenopausal symptoms. Well, that's not really how it was designed. It's being used to treat acne for heavy periods, for painful periods, for regular periods, for headaches, for uh, if we call it a lady part problem, we're going to give you birth control for it. And so you know, why this is problematic for you is that it's a disservice because you have a right to know what's happening in your body. And it's basically like, just kicking the ball down the field and just hoping that like someone else is going to pick it up in the future. Because often, you know, if you're, you're young, like we were when we started the pill, nobody's even going to question whether or not you want to have a baby because society's already decided that like, there's a certain, uh, there's a certain time frame in your life and things that you, that you can meet that like make it okay for you to have a baby. And we're not going to get like, you know, be asking a teenager, do they want to have a baby? Um, and just so everyone's clear, I'm not like advocating for teen pregnancies by any means, but no one's going to ask that question. They're just going to be like, Hey, we can actually make your periods easier and that acne go away. Let's get you on birth control. And at that stage in your life, like when you're like, I'm embarrassed by my skin and uh, I just, just don't want to deal with my period. Like that's like a no brainer. You're going to say yes, but nobody's really told you 
what is going on. And what can happen is that you find yourself decades later, only then figuring out you have polycystic ovarian syndrome, that you have hypothyroidism, that you have endometriosis, that there are these other chronic conditions that you have and birth control has been covering it up and you've been struggling in other ways of your life and not getting the help you need because your doctor has only been focused on like, do you bleed regularly? Has the pill controlled your period, your pain? And um, how, is your skin better? And not really taking that holistic perspective of what is happening in your body. And so um, that's one of the things I take issue with. Now, let's say you have polycystic ovarian syndrome so with PCOS, we will see irregular periods, sometimes missing periods for like, you know, most of the year. Um, and you might have acne as well, hair loss on your head, uh, hair growth on your chin, chest, abdomen. These are all very problematic symptoms. They're not solely sex hormone symptoms. So this is uh, very important to understand that with PCOS, we do have excess testosterone going on in many cases um, that, that can be helped with birth control. However, why do we have excess testosterone? Insulin is stimulating the ovaries to create excess testosterone. Is the pill going to treat your insulin issue? It's not. Is your insulin issue going to lead to metabolic disease at like 17, 25? Unlikely. But at 35 and 45, now we have a problem that we actually could have prevented early on. And so um, with that, we may want to use birth control along with diet and lifestyle therapies. We might want to use diet and lifestyle therapies along with like spironolactone or metformin. But it's not up to us as providers to choose that. It's up to us as providers to give that information and to guide the patient in what might be the best treatment option for them and for the patient to choose, but to also be informed that this condition, while it has these reproductive issues, may very well be what drives you into diabetes, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, so high blood pressure, all these things in the future. And if you know that as a patient, then there's things that you can do to counteract that, to prevent that. But also if that dialogue's happening with your provider, there's things that they can do to be following up on you. So providers will often be like, I'm not gonna order a cholesterol panel until you're in your thirties. Like, why am I even worried about that? We, we should be worried about that, especially a PCOS woman who is on the pill. They do have unfavorable changes with their cholesterol and we need to be monitoring that. And so, you know, for everybody listening, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about individualized medicine. I'm talking about not putting you through a basic production mill of like, do you check these boxes? You get this prescription, like you go along your way, like actually talking to you, informing you, helping you make the best choice for your body and also ensuring that like, we're not just preventing the symptoms you have today, but we're thinking about what's coming 20 years down the line. How do we prevent that as well? I'm wondering what are some of the issues that women don't know about that the pill can actually cause itself? This is like one of those things that is always baffling to me. So number one is nutrient deficiencies that can arise and really more the, the pill specifically can deplete nutrients. And I hear a lot of doctors be really flippant about this, where they're like, just eat a standard diet and you'll be fine. Well, um, your lack of nutrition education is showing <laughs> because you don't get it in, uh, in most medical schools. In the, the standard American diet, the standard diet is devoid of nutrients. So when we're on a drug that is going to deplete B vitamins, like folate, B12, B6, 
Uh, we're going to see magnesium, selenium, zinc be depleted, antioxidants like CoQ10, vitamin C, vitamin A. That's a lot of nutrients. Um, we've got to step up our game a bit with the diet. And this is something that when I was getting my nutrition degree, we talk about drug and nutrient depletions and the birth control pill, there's a slide that goes up and it shows here's all these nutrients. I remember at the time being like, hold up, I'm on the pill. Nobody ever told me this. I'm also getting this, um, you know, rhetoric that is like always, you know, diet only don't ever take a multivitamin or prenatal, which is, or unless you are actually pregnant, um, which is a lot of like this dogma that can happen um, in nutrition. What I agree with is it should always be food foundational food first and then supplement second. But when it comes to hormonal birth control, if you understand that you're on a drug that depletes fully, this is so well known that they actually had a formulation of birth control that had folic acid in it because your risk of getting pregnant, if you're not taking it right, which is the typical use, it's nine out of a hundred women in a year, you're depleted in fully. Now we've got neural tube defects. We've got other issues going on. So it's very important that we have everyone who is sexually active on the pill taking a multivitamin or prenatal on top of counseling diet, not just telling them to eat a standard diet, who is filling in that gap for them? They're not getting into elementary school. They're not getting it in high school. They're not getting it in their doctor's office. Their doctor may not even like refer them to a dietitian or a nutritionist. So like, where are they getting the information for you to just be like, oh, just eat a standard diet? What does that even look like? Like, and that's what I talk a lot about in Beyond the Pill, if you've read it, it's very food. I mean, my foundation uh, in coming into medicine was in clinical and nutrition science. Like that's my foundation. And so that is something that I'm like, we absolutely have to have the dietary piece dialed in. And it's the thing you'd never need a doctor for that you can do on your own every single day and have tremendous benefits from it. So, you know, I just find the whole conversation around just nutrients baffling. You know, the other thing I'll say is that a lot of doctors are only taught uh, severe end stage deficiencies and not optimal function. Again, this is a deficit in their actual nutrition education where they're like, well, the vitamin C deficiency is not that bad because your gums are not bleeding. You don't have scurvy. And it's like, dude, we're not pirates. Okay. Like people don't get scurvy. Like that's another thing. Like <laughs> it doesn't mean that you don't have optimal levels of vitamin C, which is a very different conversation. So there's the nutrient uh, component. The other things we're not talked to about with the pill, as I said before, it can disrupt your microbiome. There have been studies that uh, have likened it to antibiotics. So it's not all absorbed in your small intestine. We have no clue, okay? No clue what is happening to the microbiome long-term. Does the microbiome metabolize it? What does it do with birth control metabolites? What does it do with these synthetic birth control metabolites from your liver? Like, we don't know. Um, and that's the thing that like, I think is something scary to people, but you should never be scared of a doctor or scientist who's willing to admit where we don't have information. You should be scared of an overly confident person that's like, well, there's no evidence. So we're just going to go along as if everything is fine and not talk about it. And uh, it feels like um, it's a very odd thing. I don't know. Like, I think there's people out there that relate to families who never talk about anything. And I feel like medicine's that way in some regards. Where like, we, sh we just don't talk about it. So, you know, while you're on hormonal birth control, this goes back to diet, making sure that you're eating plenty of fiber rich vegetables and getting variety, getting your nuts and seeds in because those are a great source of fiber as well. 
we have to feed those critters that are there um, for them to be happy. And then we may want to even consider bringing in probiotics um, into the mix, whether that is, you know, you take probiotics or you're eating foods like kimchi, sauerkraut that are known to have those beneficial organisms in them. So, uh, you know, another thing that's not talked about with hormonal birth control are mood issues. So there are so many women out there who have struggled with depression, anxiety, mood swings, um, new psychiatric diagnosis, and they're dismissed because we don't have a causation study. We have no study to say birth control causes this. I went through this. Um, I went through this as well, and I, you know, the doctors and always their answer is just to switch your formulation of pill. It sometimes works. It works for me. It does sometimes work. It doesn't mean that your your doctor's bad, but we're not talking about this. We're not talking about the increased risk of suicide uh, in teenagers. We're not talking about like we don't counsel women. This is something that when I lecture to providers, I go through this whole like do a mini mental health screening exam with them. Let them know that like, you know, especially if they're adolescents, if they have an increase in these symptoms, go through the symptoms with them, um, have them have a buddy or partner or a parent that is watching them. If they're like no longer going to like their dance classes or they're no longer uh, motivated to hang out with their friends, if they're sleeping a lot more, like those are all signs of depression. Like we need to be looking at that because that, you know, these teens are at increased risk of suicide attempts when they start birth control and that can peak in the first couple of months. So we, does it mean like stay away from the pill? Nobody take it. No, inform people so that they can do better. And as I talk about in the, on the pill, there are some studies that are starting to come out showing how maybe birth control could be leading to depression. Is it inflammation in the brain? Is it making neurotoxins um, in your brain? Is it these nutrient depletions that we were talking about that are needed to make these neurotransmitters? But either way, it still stands that like, we don't have to wait for a study to validate the patient's experience. If the patient says, I was fine. I started this medication. Now I'm not fine. And your answer is no, 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 it's you. It's your, you're broken. Uh, it couldn't possibly be the medication. You, you probably should just refer her to someone else who's willing to listen. Um, interestingly, there have been studies showing that like a patient gets about 11 seconds of talking before the provider's already interrupting them has made up their mind, like what's going on. So we've got a systemic issue of not listening to people. It's amplified when it comes to women. Gaslighting is real in medicine. And because of all of that, it can leave a lot of women not listened to and not heard and the downplaying of any side effects related to birth control. I'm so interested. When I came off the pill, I experienced what I can best describe as this lifting of a veil of brain fog. I was just suddenly clearer in my mind. And I might not be describing this the best way, but I also wondered at the time if it was a placebo effect. I still don't know if it was placebo, but when I did talk to my girlfriends who had been on the pill, then off the pill, they all said they experienced the same thing. And what's sad to me is that I lived for a decade kind of under this fog in my brain. And I'm wondering if there's anything to this. Yeah. So the, a great, great book to read is this is your brain on birth control by Dr. Sarah Hill. She's a PhD researcher. I love her. She's really brilliant. She talks about the same thing happened to her as well. And she goes really deep into the neurochemistry and what is happening and that, yeah, there is a sort of numbing effect that can happen while you're on birth control. 
It also can lead to changes in your cortisol and how that is happening in the brain. <clears throat> and I actually, funny enough, as we, we talk about doctors dismissing stuff, I was just um, having a conversation with her and she was like, do you know how many OB guys tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't, I don't prescribe this and I don't work in clinical practice and I have to remind them that they wouldn't know anything that they know if it wasn't for researchers like me and it's us doing the research that gives that actually influences your clinical practice. But like, so um, I think that's an important thing to bring up because here is this, um, you know, researcher who does all this research um, and wrote a whole book about this, talks about her own experience with birth control, and then is having, you know, the prescribers come at her and say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And like, oh, you're making stuff up or like, oh, you're really just extrapolating the studies. And she's like, well, I did some of these studies. So come again. Um, and like, so if you're like my doctor, something's wrong with me. My doctor is like gaslighting me and dismissing me. Like you are not an exception. Like you are just part of the club. Like welcome to the club. Um, but I would really highly recommend um, that book um people often ask like well which one should i read like your book or her book they're like we actually both wrote our books and then read each other's books um and we were like it was really cool that we were like wow we came to the same conclusion i endorsed her um book because i just think it's so fantastic so i think they are both reads they offer you something different i'm looking at the whole body and I'm giving you a program in it. She's very focused on the brain, on mate selection. She goes even deeper on that than I do in my book. And uh, I would say like, I mean, I wrote my book. So I'm like, I, you know, I already know what's in there. And I found her book like absolutely fascinating. So part of me is like, go read her book. It's so good. <laughs> I spent two years with my book. So I'm like, ah, you know, it's cool. But like her book's really good. Um, but I would, if you are someone who's like, you really struggle with significant uh, neurological issues, like the anxiety, the depression, the brain fog, all of that, I would highly recommend checking out that book. Can we talk about sex drive? I know when I talk to my friends, this is one of the biggest shifts we actually all experienced when we were on the pill to off the pill is it seemed to impair our libidos. Is this true? Yeah, you want to talk about the real way that birth control prevents pregnancy is <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> So I went through this as well. I thought there was something wrong with me. Like, you know, when you're, you're 20 something and you have no libido and then some, you know, like myself develop pain uh, with sex. Um, others, you know, they have uh, vaginal atrophy that can happen. They have issues with vaginal dryness. So um, yes, it is common to see low libido. This is why it's effective for acne and it's a lame trade-off. You have to be like, do I want to ha not have acne or you know, do I want to not have a libido? So what happens is that while you're on the pill, it's shutting down ovarian function and it's doing this to prevent pregnancy. And with that, testosterone levels are going to decrease. So you're not going to produce as much testosterone. Then the liver, because the liver is like, this is way too many hormones. Like we were not designed to have this many hormones. Like what's going on here? It increases a protein called sex hormone binding globulin or um, it, it goes by SHBG. And, that, and I say that because that's what you'll see on your labs. And that can stay elevated even after you come off the pill, which can make it problematic in getting your libido back. So that is something that if you're struggling with your libido, even after you come off the pill, free testosterone needs to be checked, not total in women, free, and sex hormone binding globulin. 
So your liver is not doing that because it's misbehaving and it's not doing that because it's like, you know, trying to betray you or, you know, it's just, you know, blocking you in the bedroom. It's doing that because these hormones, if it didn't gravel up some of those, they would be stimulating tissues and causing major problems in your body. So um, with that, that can crash your libido. And then, like I said, and then you add on it that you can start having pain with intercourse. You can have inability to orgasm or start having pain with orgasm. Like if you have pain with orgasm, your body is going to be like, let's reinforce never doing that again. Um, because it wants to keep you safe. Your body's like, if that's pain, this is a bad thing. So it's really important that you get, if you're having these issues that you follow up with your provider, that you get help with it, that you get these things um, looked into. I have friends who are, um, they're pelvic floor physical therapists and they're like, yeah, I see young women who are on the pill end up their vagina is starting to look the tissue a lot closer to like a woman in menopause, like because of the, the hormones and those not being right. Does this happen to everyone? No. Um, but it does happen to some women. And so if that's true for you, you definitely want to meet with a provider and get it checked out. But yeah, the libido, it's not you. It's, it's the pill. We've talked about the birth control pill, but how does this apply to other forms of contraceptives, say the patch or the IUD? Yeah. So when it comes to the patch or the ring, you know, those hormones are working in the same way in terms of flooding your system to shut down ovulation. Um, it's important to note that we do not have as much research. These are newer contraceptives. Um, we don't have as much research in terms of like, you know, does it lead to nutrient depletions? We have no evidence that these other ones do. Does it mess with your microbiome? We have no evidence one way or another. There are microbiologists who understand women's hormones who are like, look, what, like your hormones affect your microbiome, whether you put them, whether you swallow it or your ovaries make it. So it's a possibility. Have we studied it? No, no, we have no idea. When it comes to the IUD, the IUD does not always shut down ovulation. So when I'm talking about the progestin IUD, that's like Marina, uh, Skyla, Kylina, it does not always shut. It can, it can immediately, it can years later or may not at all. So understand though, that even though it doesn't, the research on the mood symptoms, it applies to all hormonal birth control. No hormonal birth control leaves your brain alone as it, as it seems in the research. And so it used to be said that those progestin only IUDs that was localized and it stayed in the uterus. And I'm like, how naive we were to ever have said those things because as it turns out it does not um and you know i like to make a joke that like what ha your uterus is not vegas what happens there doesn't stay there like it does like it's not the way things work so you know uh with the iud's we also don't see things like nutrient depletions we can see uh you know other adverse changes to uh the brain we don't know enough about autoimmunity and all of these there is you know, preliminary evidence to suggest a connection to autoimmunity, but we still just need a lot more research to understand that. Anytime you're messing with women's hormones, um, you, you can be messing with your immune system because they're so intertwined um, altogether. So, um, and this is why, as I say all this, why some women are like, I failed the pill, the patch was great. I hated the pill, the patch, the depo shot, the IUD worked great for me. Um, and it really just depends. And we don't have enough research to be like, this will work for every woman or this will work for this particular woman. Um, we really, 
it, it can sometimes be ad, uh, as it should be if it's not working, just a trial and error situation. So if women want to go a non-hormonal birth control, what do you recommend? For example, I've been using an app called the Flow app to track my fertility. Really don't know whether this is effective. And are you doing like basal body temperature and charting cervical mucus? No. Okay, no, that's not really I should accurate. be, clearly. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, uh, that's great to if know. You get pregnant after this. Like, I did not <laughs> recommend that. No, no, for fertility awareness method to be accurate, and that's you know essentially when we're tracking our fertility, we have to be tracking our symptoms. So basal body temperature is one. The second your eyes pop open, you put a thermometer under your tongue, and you know you you record that. You can do it hand charting, or you can use something like Natural Cycles, which is an FDA approved contraceptive device. Um, and it's just taking your temperature and matching it against, it's just mathematics, matching it against everyone else. But you want to pay attention to your fertile cervical mucus as well. When you get that raw egg white consistency, um, that's when you're like that once a month where you're like, what is all this goop in my underwear? Like what's going on? That's, that's a sign of fertility. It's good stuff, uh, for helping sperm get there, but you want to be aware if you don't want sperm there, that you are at risk, you are in your fertile window. And then um, the other thing uh, is just paying attention to your libido as well. Um, if your libido is climbing up, you're probably going to be ovulating soon. That's why mother nature has designed you. And then um, there is checking like cervical position, cervical, uh, you know, signs that is a little more advanced. And this is why I recommend working with a fertility awareness uh, method instructor, somebody that that's their jam and that's what they do to really get that dialed in. So, um, and that's, you know, I say that because a lot of these apps will be like, well, we think you ovulated on day 14 last month. So it's probably be day 14 this month. That's not how it works at all. Like something, it might be day 12 and then it might be day 15. And, uh, the thing to know about fertility awareness method is those sperm can live five days. So if you wait for an app to be like, oh, you know, this is like, you know, uh, on the 12th day of this month but you had unprotected sex four days before, you are risking becoming pregnant because that sperm can hang around. I know. <laughs> it can like crawl back up and, and impregnate you basically, or I guess it's just hanging out up there. Yeah, yeah they're kept alive. So, um, you're, uh, so, to, so you just have to like go back to like evolutionarily speaking, what's your body's main goal? Get you knocked up. That's what it wants to do in this phase. And so, um, what it does is it actually keeps the sperm around and uh, the sperm is nourished, kept warm. Like it's a great little environment for them. And then uh, when the egg is ovulated, then the sperm will be there and already be present to make its way to the egg. And, um, and there is some evidence to show that the egg actually chooses, like the way it goes in sex ed class is like the sperm races and penetrates the egg, like it's very masculine. And as it turns out, there's some evidence that's like, no, the egg's like, you're not cool. You suck. Get out of here. You, you, all right, I'm gonna let you in. Like the egg is a bouncer and is like, no, no, I'm only letting the best of us in. Um, and so, yeah. And your body does that to increase the odds that you will become pregnant. And so again, um, you know, this is where I tell people if you're going to use fertility awareness method or really like, you know, when we want to be taking care of our hormones, like we want our body to think we could get pregnant, but shh, which is not going to tell our body that we're not going to let that happen. So 
using barrier methods leading up to that fertile window and on your um, ovulation day. So, you know, some people like cervical caps, diaphragms, those actually have a, a high failure rate compared to things like a condom. If you put a condom on right, um, that can have a lower failure rate. Let's not all forget that condoms are amazing at preventing HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. So if we're not in a monogamous relationship, we're not having our partners tested regularly, like definitely a good idea to have that. And that's also a lot of times women will start the pill and then their doctors don't include that part of the conversation. And so they don't realize like, oh, you, you still need to like have uh, protection with that. Um, where you see these, like, I see it on TikTok and I just, um, I don't even want to talk to these men. I want to talk to their moms because I'll see these men be like, oh, I was with this girl and she was on the pill and she would never let me have sex with her without a condom on. And I'm like, good for you, like clapping. I'm like, yeah, I want to know her, good job. And they're like complaining about it. And I'm like, you're so dumb it hurts right now because like she is like taking charge of her body and you're over here just complaining that you didn't get to have sex the way you, you got to have sex just be grateful like, that, like this woman was like into you and you had that kind of connection. Like, that's amazing. But like, yeah, that, that whole thing that like, um, we really have to do a better job educating women and men about, especially in these, uh, well, I, I think in all sexual types of, of relationships, um, no matter who you're sexually attracted to, please use barrier methods. They're really, really important. Um, so, you know, the other non-hormonal option for birth control is getting a copper IUD. So copper IUDs can work amazing if you uh, love that. If you get yours and you like it, you end up falling in love with it. Like women just love it. If you have heavy, painful periods and you get it, you're going to hate it. It's horrible. And know that these IUDs, they do have their own risks, uh, very small risks of perforation and expulsions that is like, you know, go embedding into your uterus or uh, being kicked out, but it can happen. So you should be aware of that. Um, and then, you know, so we talked about the fertility minus method. We talked about barrier methods. We talked about copper AD and there are gels being developed. And so that uh, egg white consistency that makes a super highway to the sperm so that they can, you know, win and allegedly conquer the egg. Um, there's gels that are going to start changing cervical mucus so that you basically block sperm. They can't get up there. Um, and that is something that uh, we're seeing it touted as 100% side effect free, the first side effect free birth control. And I'm like, hmm, well, we'll see what women say. Um, because, you know, uh, if you're using like, and I would say that like, if the gel prevents pregnancy, like fantastic, and you don't have to alter your hormones, that can be a great option for you. Um, but we also have to just see like how people respond. Why I say that is because there are lubrications out there that are like hypoallergenic and they're like the best thing ever. And yet there's always that one woman who's like, it didn't work for me. I'm wondering why there hasn't been a pill designed for men at this point. I talk about that in my book. So one, I have a son, I'm married to a man and I would never be like, let's go messing with your hormones. <laughs> so that's one thing. But do I think it's fair that we then turn it around and say, but women, because the burden of pregnancy falls on you, if it's unintended, you have to alter your hormones. No, I don't think that's fair. So um, what we really seen, so what I think everyone needs to understand about a pharmaceutical company, and it's the thing that we don't like because it's healthcare, but it is the reality is that they are for profit company. And so when they 
develop a drug, they have to make sure that they will have an ROI, return on their investment. It costs a lot of money to do these drug trials. The male birth control trial was halted because a small percentage of men developed mood altering side effects. I've actually seen um, this happened on social media where like there were women being like, these men got depression. You don't understand. It was so bad. And I'm like, no, it actually, it wasn't that bad. If you compare it to like, you know, the, what the birth control pill, the first birth control iteration did. And like, it's not that bad when you compare it to the um, IUD that was released to the same quarter that they stopped this trial and had a way higher, um, you know, reported uh, mood symptoms. They're like, well, um, some of them were like, you know, thinking about committing suicide. I'm like, and, and again, um, it happens at a higher rate in women. So why is it that you're defending this? Like, it's like th these side effects suck. We can all say that. And yet there wasn't even a talk of iterating it and making it better, trying to reduce the side effects. And in fact, some of the side effects they had was an increased risk in libido. Um, the trial participants said they would have continued it. It was the pharmaceutical company who shut it down. And really what, you know, what it looks like from the outside is that they weren't gonna be able to sell that because society and even the sex education that we get has a narrative. And the narrative very much is pregnancy is a woman's problem and a woman's responsibility. And that if, you know, if she is being promiscuous, she's going to get pregnant, right? It's always like, if you get pregnant, it's because you're a bad person. Like you're morally a bad person. Um, if you have this unintended pregnancy outside of wedlock and like, I'm just, so I'm really clear with everyone. This is not what I'm saying. This is like part of the narrative that goes out there. But it's also that like, we very much are like, don't teach women about their bodies. Um, that, you know, women have to go sneak and get birth control uh, in some instances. And I'm, you guys, 17 states in the United States mandate medically accurate sex education. 17 out of 50 states say that you actually get medically accurate sex education when you are in school and everything else is propaganda to anyone, what anyone decides. Um, uh, so, you know, with this, I think it's just really important that we understand that there is just this whole framework in society that this is your responsibility as a woman because it happens in your body. Like, you know, this is your responsibility that you're responsible for taking care of that child. Um, and there are lots of people out there that would argue like, trust me, I'm raising my son. I'm like, yeah, um, he's eight right now. We don't have to have these talks, but we will have these talks about that. Like birth control is the partner's responsibility. It is both people's responsibility. If you don't want to have a baby, you, you have to be like having that conversation and having a plan before you ever in this, this option, I mean, it feels a little bit odd to have to be like taught. I'm like, cause I'm talking about my eight year old right now. And I'm like, Oh, that <laughs> we're not ready for that conversation. And yet this is a conversation that I signed up for when I decided to be a parent that we're going to have to have and talk. And I think it's important for everyone to understand that conversation has to happen before you even start making out because your hormones will override your brain. And then your brain will be like, whatever, let's do this. Like you think you've got this frontal lobe that's going to pump the brakes and be like, let's be safe. But no, because biology is going to be like, let's make a baby. And, like, and you have no idea that is what biology is saying to you, but that is what is actually happening there. So it really needs to be a joint conversation. And I think we really have to rework the framework of like, okay, this, this is a, you know, this is a, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, this is a woman and a man's uh, responsibility. And you have to be 
framing the way, looking at it that way, and then understanding too, I think there's like a lot of really great people out there that have taught their sons that like, if you get a girl pregnant, that doesn't mean that it's her fault, her responsibility. Like that is a, a joint thing now that you both have to deal with as well. So um, there is the pharmaceutical implications. There's the business of selling drugs. There are the trials that haven't been all that successful, but there haven't been that many efforts or iterations. And then there is just societal construct of like whose responsibility is this actually? I had a lot of my followers ask about fertility and whether yeah. the birth control pill can impact your fertility. And it seemed to be of great concern. And I had never heard this before. Uh, do you have any information on that? So when it comes to birth control and fertility, this is called like the greatest myth of birth control and then uh because women there are women who are like don't take birth control it will hurt your future fertility why it gets called a myth is because we've never had any evidence of that we've never seen that actually come out of the research we clinically have a lot of women who were on birth control able to come off and get pregnant however there's a couple things that we have to consider like where does it so to me it's not been helping anyone to be like that's a myth don't worry about it no, they're worried about it. So let's talk about it. So, you know, first thing is, why are we using birth control? If we're using it for symptom management and we're covering up things like PCOS, endometriosis, hypothyroidism, then all of those are associated with infertility. So you start the pill for symptom management. You never uh, figure out what's going on. You come off the pill. You can't get pregnant. You don't have a period. And it's a logical conclusion to say it must have been the pill when in fact it was the underlying issue that the pill was covering up all those years. And that's what actually has to be addressed in order to restore your fertility. The other issue may very well be that the way women are using birth control. So why do we use it? We use it because we don't want to get uh, you know, pregnant and we want to delay pregnancy until we're ready in life. Yet what we're seeing is more and more 40-something-year-old pregnancies. And that is something that it's not hands down that just because you're eight over age 35 that you're going to have a harder time getting pregnant, but you may have a harder time getting pregnant. And with some forms of birth control, especially, we can see a delay return in ovulation. And so um, with all birth control, we can have a delay in return to ovulation. And so we have to consider that like, if you're 38 and you're coming off of birth control, you're like, okay, I want to have a baby, but not yet. And I'm 38. So, um, you know, I'm just going to come off. My doctor told me when I was 18, you just come off and you'll get pregnant immediately. Turns out it doesn't work that way in a lot of cases. Um, and so you come off at 38 thinking, oh, I'm going to be able to get pregnant. And now we're 39 and we've been trying, we're meeting with the fertility specialist. And so that, you know, that I've been on birth control and delayed my fertility. And then when I started trying to conceive and then birth control um, can have this temporary delay of, uh, so like depot especially could be like 18 months from your last depot shot before you start ovulating again. So if you get that shot at 38 and now we're looking at like, well, now I'm going to be turning 40 and I just started ovulating again. Like we're, we're closing in on that window. The other thing that happens is that as we get older, our CoQ10 production declines. CoQ10 is an antioxidant, super crucial for protecting the ovaries. So that begins its decline, but it's also being depleted by hormonal birth control. And so we have to look at like, well, you know, are, is there an impact of what is happening in your environment? This, you know, drug is depleting these antioxidants that uh, protect your ovaries. 
Um, and all of that's coming together that's causing aging of, the, of your eggs. Is that the pill solely doing that? No, it's like a drop in the bucket of a bigger issue that's going on. And so we can't say like, oh, the pill is the cause there because the cause is really that we've had oxidative stress. And so where did oxidative stress? It's not going to just be the pill. That's not the only thing going on in the world that would cause oxidative stress. And so, you know, I hope what people are understanding through this conversation is that there's ways that the pill can be involved um, that make it seem like it did in fact cause our infertility but in reality, you know, it, it wasn't the factor that caused it. There were other things going on. And so I think it's just really important that if you're thinking about becoming pregnant, I mean, really, we want to be doing preconception care six months to 12 months before becoming pregnant. So that is, uh, you'll hear a lot of doctors be like, oh, you ask when to start a prenatal. And they're like, oh, just start when you become pregnant. Well, it turns out that before you even have a positive pregnancy test, that rapidly developing organism already needed that folate, um, not to mention B12 and other nutrients. So it's best to be on that prenatal six months in advance. But I think that because of how some doctors, and if you talk with fertility specialists, they'll be like, no, come off the pill and like, let's make sure everything's okay before you get pregnant. You talk to like your average gynecologist or PCP and they might tell you, oh, you just come off and you'll get pregnant immediately. It won't be a problem. Um, that's a huge disservice. And it also makes you feel a lot of shame and guilt when it comes to fertility. We, man, we just make it all our fault in every way we can. Um, and I, I say it, like, just as women, like we are like, it, it has to be me. Something's wrong with me. And like, and yet if we were more honest with these conversations that like, maybe it was, you know, some, something that you did that wasn't right, but odds are is that there's a lot more going on. And then let's never forget that the sperm is 50% of the equation here. So, um, and it usually does get forgotten where it's like, once again, society is like, well, it happens in your body. So it must be you and let's investigate you. And it's like, well, no, uh, you know, there, there has like, ooh, we just had a big storm. Hopefully I keep my Wi-Fi. Sorry. Um, but yeah, but the sperm is 50% of the equation. So we have to have healthy sperm as well in all of this. If someone's listening to this podcast and they want to come off the pill, what is your top maybe one to two tips for making that process as seamless as possible as you go through kind of ridding yourself of that through your body? Number one is, is that if you are sexually active and you don't want to have a baby that you need to have a backup method. So don't just come off and don't listen to this and be like, I'm just going to come off of birth control and then be like, oh, whoops, we got pregnant and that was not planned. Um, <clears throat> I will tell you as someone who's pregnant right now, like uh, you definitely want to have a plan <laughs> because it's, yeah, I'm, I'm like looking at like the countdown of like, I keep joking of like, can I just like be this pregnant for like a year and like just stay this pregnant? Like, I'm not totally ready for not sleeping and all of that. Like, I know it's coming. I know I signed up for it, but like, oh, I'm not ready for it. Um, <clears throat> so all, all joking aside about my own uh, pregnancy, um, but you know, when you're coming off of hormonal birth control, definitely tracking your symptoms and paying attention to what's going on in your body so that you can communicate that in a quantified way. So if your periods are now seven days, write down your periods are seven days. If you're changing a tampon every hour, write down that you're changing a tampon every hour. If your mood is keeping you from enjoying your life or activities of daily living, and that's happening five days out of every month, write it down so you can take it to your doctor. You definitely want to be looking at 
how are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are your stress levels? As you come off of hormonal birth control, anything that's disrupted your brain ovarian communication, you want to make sure that the environment is constantly signaling to your body that it is safe because that, that is what your reproductive system needs. It is, um, you know, to your body, it's a negotiable. If the environment gets too, stre too stressful, your body's going to be like, we're going to shut down reproduction so that we can survive. That's more important than trying to get pregnant right now. So making sure, um, you know, when I say things like your, your diet, yes, we want to be fueled. Yes, we want to have, uh, we're eating regularly, but bringing things like cruciferous vegetables, those are going to help your body make dim, which is going to help with estrogen detoxification. You will detox these hormones out. Your body is very good at this. It will get them out all in its own. It just needs your support with things like B vitamins, cruciferous vegetables, making sure sulfur compounds are coming in. So like onions and garlic, those are really important as well. And then, you know, making sure you're tending to your microbiome as well. So eating your fermented vegetables, making sure you're getting lots of fiber, that's also going to help with your hormones and moving things out. And, you know, why I say, you know, starting with all of that, if we can be supporting liver detoxification, if we can be supporting gut health, we're going to help with inflammation. All of those things are going to help your hormones operate a whole lot better. Dr. Brighton, thank you so much for coming on the plant pod. This has been ridiculously educational. And I know we can all further the conversation with your book, Beyond the Pill. Where can our listeners find that? Yeah, well, you can find it at my website, which is drbrighton.com, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com. You can also find it uh, anywhere where they sell books, including Amazon. Um, but given what 2020 has done uh, to the world, I really, really encourage you to buy it from a local bookstore. And if you can't get it uh, for whatever reason and you're like, it's just not in my budget right now, you can also get it from libraries. Uh, most libraries have it. And if they don't, you can go ahead and request it and you can get it from a library as well. Dr. Brighton, thanks once again for coming on. If you enjoyed this episode, listeners, make sure to take a screenshot, share it in your Instagram stories and tag us both so we can share and see what was most valuable from the show. Thank you for listening. <laughs>